We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church, and you're going to be so glad you did. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and man, it is so good to be in the house of God. You guys are looking beautiful today, and today I'm particularly excited because we are going to, we're, we're starting a brand new sermon series called Intimacy. We're going to learn how to grow closer to God and closer to one another, and and part of this, this series was actually inspired by a conversation I had uh, not so long ago. And I, I recently, I, a friend came up to me, and he's like, Pastor Peter, he goes, man, you just feel, it just feels like you're constantly sharing miracle stories of what God is doing in the church. Like, why, why does it feel like you and Carol and you and your wife experience so many miracles? It almost seems like you experience more miracles than me. Or, or why does it feel like God is always prophetically speaking to you? And I I, and, and if you come to Substance for any period of time, you know that I'm constantly sharing uh, cool miracle stories from the pulpit. And it's, it feels like almost every single month we get like a crazy, undeniable miracle story that will happen right here at, at Substance. And I promise you, if you walk with God long enough, uh, you two are going to have dozens of miracle stories. But this person, uh, really what they, they, they're like, yeah, but Pastor, it, it kind of feels more like this. It almost feels like God loves some people more than others. And immediately I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. God doesn't love people more than other people. And I just, and I wanted to clarify with him, and I want to clarify with you right out of the gate. God does not love one person more than another. However, what he does is I do believe that he actually trusts some people more than others when it comes to the miraculous. Why? Because think about it. If we're not living a lifestyle that is conducive to God, that doesn't reveal God to the world, if we're living wickedly and then we're doing miracles, guess what? It, it actually, it, it confuses people even more. And, and so, like, let me just point this out to you by, by showing a couple scriptures to you right out of the gate. Acts chapter 10, 34. God is no respecter of persons. Or, or Romans 2, 11. God does not show favoritism. What he does for one, he's also going to do for you. And yet the Bible also teaches that certain people do in fact have more supernatural power. They have more act, they, they have more power over demonic oppression. Let me give you an example of this, okay? In the Old Testament, we read about a prophet named Daniel who is notorious for prayer and for fasting. So this dude was kind of a, a, a guy who lived a lifestyle of, of, of intimacy with God. And in, in the book of Daniel, it actually teaches that, you know, sometimes when we pray, there's spiritual warfare. And so in Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says this, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you for why. For you are highly esteemed. Why did he get a quick answer to prayer? As soon as he began to pray, an answer was given. Why? The angel tells him, for you are highly esteemed. What does that mean? You are highly, so you are highly esteemed and so you got a quick answer to prayer? Like, you know, think about it. The, the angel is basically saying there are certain people who have a higher level of esteem or let's just call it authority. Authority 
to walk in spiritual power. Now, let me give you an example of the opposite of this, okay? So the opposite of this, in Acts chapter 19, verse 15, we're gonna read about the seven sons of Sceva, a, a chief priest, okay? So there was this Jewish priest who learned that, oh, for some weird reason, priests were oftentimes called in to do demonic deliverances, and they found out, a lot of times when they were casting out demons, they would do it in the name of Solomon or the name of, of some figure in the Old Testament. And they found that, oh, people are now using the name of Jesus and, it, and it's working, okay? So keep in mind, these sons of Sceva, they do not believe in Jesus, but they're invoking his name on behalf of demonic power, okay? So they're not Christians. They don't technically have any spiritual authority to be using the name of Jesus, but they are. And check out what Acts chapter 19, verse 15 says. One day, the evil spirit answered them, the sons of Sceva who are using Christ's name in vain. It says, the demon said, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Awkward. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, think about that. Jesus I know, Paul I know. Okay, now that story by its very nature begs us to ask the question, would the demons know your name? You know what I'm saying? Do we walk in authority? I mean, it's really kind of, the Bible is revealing that demons apparently have an awareness of human authority. There are certain people they're scared of and certain people, I'm not scared whatsoever, okay? You're gonna get a beating, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there, there, why, why? And it begs even the greater question, well then, how then can we increase our spiritual authority in being more like Paul, right? Or being more like Jesus? And, and so, and let me put it this way, okay, if, if we cannot increase God's love for us, because God already loves you with an everlasting love, then how do we increase our spiritual authority? In other words, how do we have the integrity that God would trust with more spiritual power, where we're not misrepresenting God? And, and, and again, the short answer, you note takers, write this down, because this is so important. If you don't understand this principle, there's going to be all sorts of passages that are gonna feel like they're contradictory even though they're not, okay? And here it is. Spiritual authority increases in direct proportion to two things, intimacy and holiness. Spiritual authority increases in direct proportion to two things, intimacy and holiness. If you don't understand how intimacy works, if we don't understand the biblical definition, uh, the New Testament definition of holiness, then we're gonna experience confusion when it comes, there's just a million Bible passages that are not gonna make sense, okay? So, uh, you know, ultimately, I would even argue that most American Christians have a flawed concept of holiness, and as a result of it, they're, they're lacking spiritual power, and God is always confusing, okay? I, I've noticed there's a lot of Christians who always just feel confused, and the power of God and the voice of God always feels hazy to them, and so... Over the next couple weeks, you guys, we're gonna have so much fun when it comes to this topic. And my, my church, my, my hope is simple. I just wanna sweep away all of the confusion uh, that, that relates to this topic. And, but to start, uh, I'm gonna need to give you kind of a basic lesson out of the Old Testament, so buckle your seatbelts. Are you guys ready for this? Because we're gonna go there. I'm so excited. Okay, all right. 
Now, here we go. So if you go back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, you remember Moses, he went to the Pharaoh, let my people go, they crossed the Red Sea. Basically, God was redeeming a nation for himself, the Israelites, and of course, they don't really know who God is or how to operate with God, and so God basically, he, he initially, he promises them, hey, I'm gonna take you up the coast to the promised land, and it's a very specific plot of land, and what was interesting is the promised land was only about a three-day journey up the coastline, and yet it's interesting. If you look at the map of how God actually took them, taking them out of Egypt instead of, the promised land was like right here, right? So what's interesting is it was about a three-day walk up the coastline. It could have been a real easy thing. God could have thrown in a few beach balls. It could have been like spring break trip to the promised land, yo! Let's do this thing, but did God do that? No, he did the exact opposite. He took them the hardest route ever. He takes them the exact opposite way into the desert. Now, if you look at that map, you're like, what? What's wrong, God? Did you lack a GPS or something? Did, did you not know where the promised land was? Did you just need to like, you know, take a, like why in the world would they go the exact opposite direction of the promised land into the middle of nowhere in order to experience, some people believe Mount Sinai was even further, okay? So I mean like Mount Sinai, this is like the exact opposite direction of the promised land. Why? What in the world were you doing? You see, God knew something that the Israelites did not understand. God knew my people are not ready to handle the promised land because they lack two things. They don't know me and they don't know how I designed them to live. Here's what God understands that a lot of people don't understand is that the very blessings that you and I are often praying for can also be the very things that destroy us. Some of you, are, you're like, why didn't God you know, answer my prayer to win the lottery? Because God knows you already don't spend your money right. You know what I'm saying? If God gave you more, you would just squander it and fail on a whole nother level. So God, God wants to deal with your character, and even more important than your character, he wants you to have intimacy with him that can sustain the weight of his blessings. And so to accomplish this, he took them all the way to Mount Sinai. And of course, in Exodus chapter 19, it's kind of dramatic if you have time later on this afternoon to read Exodus 19. I mean, if you, God is a drama queen. Can I just say that? Okay, I know that might sound sacrilegious, but you know what I'm saying. Like, like he came down on the mountain with thunder, with lightning, and the Bible says fire descended on the mountain to the point where people were freaking out. Now, fire is very, 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 very important as a symbol because every single time the Bible talks about holiness, you're also gonna see something about fire. And, and I wish I had the time to go through all of the Old Testament passages that show that, but remember the word, remember this idea of fire. Fire is symbolic of holiness. It's a critical symbol that's always gonna appear in conjunction with holiness over and over and over again. And of course, immediately after God descends on Mount Sinai, what does he do? He gives Moses the Ten Commandments and the law. And what is the law? The law is a prescription of how God created us to live. It's like the, it's like the user manual, okay? If you use the thing different than what it's intended to do, it's gonna break, right? If you, the user manual, say, change the oil on your car. If you drive 
your car forever without changing the oil, guess what happens? You burn out your engine. I figured that out the hard way when I was 17. So I, you know, I didn't change my oil quick enough. You know what I'm saying? You gotta look to the user manual. God created you and I to operate within certain parameters, and when we disregard that, it messes with us, okay? So it, it's the law. Now, but, but why? Okay, so why did God take them into the desert? What does that say about his intentions? Okay, it says that he knows something about human nature, and it's this. If he took them straight up to the promised land, you know what? We would love the promises more than the promiser. Okay, and if we, that's why God doesn't always answer all of our prayers, because he knows that, that answered prayer, if God just answered all of our prayers, would we ever seek him? No. In fact, for some of us, the only time we ever seek the Lord is when we need God. You know what I'm saying? I think about like even myself before my conversion. There were two moments, even though I was not really a Christian, uh, there were two moments when I truly sought the Lord as a non-believer. The first was after my car accident. I needed God to, I got in a terrible car accident and I needed God to heal my body, so I was praying, right? That was the first time. Second time is when I wanted to get with this one girl. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm like, God, please, I pray that she would see me. And God's up in heaven saying, oh my gosh, that girl's a nightmare. <laughs> Permission granted, man, he's really gonna seek me after he dates this girl, you know what I'm saying? And sure enough, man, boy, what a nightmare. That was before Carolyn, okay? And it was, some of you are like, was it Carolyn? No, <laughs> trust me. The Lord was like, after he figures this out, then I'll trust him with Carolyn. No, 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 say. Okay, so like, but my point is, for a lot of us, that's the only time, that's the only time we ever seek God. I think God will use desert seasons to create more intimacy with him. And so if you're in a desert season, don't be mad about it. Actually, be glad about it, because that's a sign God's about to move in your life. Okay, some of you, that's a word just for today. But listen, God knows if he, if he just brought us straight to the promised land, we would never get to know him. He wants us to fall in love with the promise, sir, more than the promise says. And we don't, he doesn't want us to miss the true source of life. It's like the old moral fable that maybe you heard when you were a kid, right? Which will make you richer, the golden egg or the hen that lays the golden egg, right? There's, there's the source. God knew if, if we don't have intimacy, if we don't have a holy lifestyle, we're gonna lose the promised land living anyway, which is why the, pre the Canaanites had lost the promised land, as they were sacrificing their own kids to a god named Molech. I mean, totally twisted, okay? So character is everything. Are you following me? Now, if you fast forward in the narrative, what's interesting is the Israelites, despite seeing all these miracles, they failed to learn the lesson, and God was forced to have them die in the wilderness and finally said, hey, I, I can't even, you guys are refusing to allow me to use you. I'm gonna have to use your kids instead. And so a generation later, once, they, once the first generation died off, God reteaches them the same lesson of Sinai once again in Deuteronomy 4. And I love this. Moses is giving them the sermon that their parents didn't learn. And this is what he says through Moses' lesson. He says, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For, check this out. Okay, here's the key phrase. And I don't want you to miss this. Here's why. For the Lord your God is a what? Consuming fire. Once again, fire connected with this holiness teaching, a jealous God. There's a godly jealousy that, that God has. He wants intimacy with us. He doesn't want us so in love with the promises we miss the promiser. He, 
He is a jealous God, and more specifically, he reveals himself as a consuming fire. Why? What is it about fire that God wanted to communicate by giving himself this name, the consuming fire? He's a holy fire. The, the, the key expressions I want you to get out of this are holy and fire. Everybody say holy. holy. Everybody say fire. Okay, now, let me tell you a story about the time I learned about fire, okay? Now, many of you guys know I used to compete in freestyle BMX, and, and I, I had a 40-foot skateboarding half-pipe ramp in my backyard, and I used to do a lot of extreme sports, and of course, uh, to make my cool ramp even sweeter, I was going to spray paint it with some cool street art, and, uh, and of course, you know, if you've ever used spray paint, once it gets on your hands, you can't get it off your hands because it's oil-based, and... And of course, the only thing to get it off your hands is gonna be like paint thinner or things like that. And of course, I, di I didn't have any of those things. All I had, I, but I, I knew a little quick hack is that gasoline can actually get it off your hands. And so I started, I took some lawnmower gasoline, poured it in a little pan, uh, a wash pan to wash all the paint off my hands and arms. And, and, and so, which is kind of toxic. It's probably not the best thing, but I was doing it, okay? So, and then, so after I washed all the paint off my hands and my arms, I. I, next thing you know, I've got this little dirty, I've got this, it's a, how do I dispose of this dirty gasoline, right? I mean, I, I can't, I knew enough to know I can't just dump it on the grass besides it was probably illegal. And so I kept thinking, you know, okay. So suddenly I got this great dumb idea and it's this, why not just light it on fire? It'll disappear just like that, right? I mean, why, I figured, you know, poof, it's going to be gone in a second. Problem solved. Keep in mind, kids, don't try this at home, okay? I'm telling you this story because it was an idiotic thing to do, and my brain had not fully developed yet. My wife would probably say it still hasn't, but I'm just saying, I, so don't do this at home. To make this plan 10 times stupider, I foolishly thought to myself, well, the gas is just going to go poof in one second, so why don't I hold on to the pan while I do it? I'm like a magician. So beautiful, right? To make the plan even 10 times stupider than I have already made it, I foolishly thought, why not do all of this inside of an attached garage? <laughs> and not surprisingly, when I lit the match and threw it into this pan that I'm holding inside of the attached garage, the pan turned into a solid eight foot flame up into the rafters, and the flame went straight up my arm, which was thoroughly washed in gasoline. <laughs> and so now I have got this moment where I have to decide, okay, to wipe the flame off my arm and prevent my flesh from burning alive. I dropped the pan to sweep the fire off my arm, and the moment I dropped the pan, it all of a sudden hit the oil-covered garage floor, and next thing you know, the fire just went in, in a matter of seconds, there was a bonfire the size of a vehicle starting to light the ceiling on fire. So now, what do I do? In that moment, I had that, that decision. Do I run into the house and call the fire department, and by the time they get here, the whole house is gonna be on fire, 
or do I figure out how to fight this fire on my own? And of course, the smart thing to do would be go inside and call the fire department, but once again, if I was smart, I wouldn't be in the situation in the first place. So take a while, guess what I did? Fight the fire on your own. So in that moment, I'm thinking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? It's, it's gasoline, and like I can't just throw water on it. And I'm thinking, what can I do? And so I literally ran straight through the fire, and I found this, car this rolled up carpet that just conveniently was sitting on our camper, and I pulled it out. I unrolled it over the fire, and shockingly, I came up with the first good idea I had ever had, and it worked. No applause necessary. <laughs> now, chances are, this is the very first time that my parents have ever heard this story, and so mom and dad, if you're in the room today, I'm really, really sorry, my bad. Some of you are like, no, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna tell them that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, but seriously, okay, the moral of the story is obvious, okay? Don't be an idiot when it comes to fire. Fire can be a beautiful thing, yes? It heats our houses, it cooks our food, it causes our combustion engines to drive our cars, it flies us to amazing destinations to enjoy all sorts of wonderful things. Heck, a controlled use of fire can even heal us. I mean, laser surgery? If you know how to, con to interact with fire, it can be beautiful, it can be powerful, it can be magical, it can, it can be something that just entertains us. But guess what, if you don't know how to interact with fire, guess what, it can set your whole family ablaze. And some of you know what I am talking about, particularly I know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? And guess what? God is the same way. God is like fire. Now, what does that mean? All throughout the Bible, holiness and fire are put together on purpose. So it begs the question, well, then what is holiness? Well, I suppose a simple way to define holiness, it means purity. It means, it means to be set apart. It means that God is altogether different than sinful humanity. So we got holiness and unholiness. God's holiness and unholy mankind. It's, it's God is holy. Now, why is holiness important and why is it associated with fire? Well, one of the interesting things about the word holy is that of all the adjectives that are used to describe God, the word holy is right up there at the top. If you like study all of the adjectives used to describe God, holy is one of the most significant ones you're gonna find in both the Old and the New Testament. For example, in, in the book of Revelation, we, talk, we, we see the, the four living creatures that just circle the throne of God. They get to see God closer than any other part of his creation, and day and night, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In other words, you are altogether different, altogether pure. It's just like all throughout eternity, they're learning. Every time they circle the throne, they learn something new about God. And, and, and so, or, or think about it this way. The third part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. The f what is his first name? Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is, it's in his name. Holy is so implicit to him that it's his first name, Holy Spirit, the very being who wants to speak to us, who wants to counsel us, who wants to encourage us, also has the first name Holy, which is why the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit with what? Unholiness, unholy behavior. So for example, this last week, it was kind of fun. We got to, our church 
many of you guys know that we helped we help plant churches all over the world, and so uh, one of the, the the fun things that I get to do is I get to train pastors how to think different about church. And so this last week I was in Calgary. In fact, I literally flew in last night uh, for church this week uh, weekend. But we we were there, and I was hanging out with all sorts of pastor friends. And I got to hang out with my friend, uh, a guy by the name of Nathan Finocchio, and he was he was talking about this this attribute. I just could not stop thinking about it the last couple of days. How how God is only called love twice in the Bible in First John four, but He's called holy over four hundred times. Okay, so now think about that. Okay, the Bible says that God is love twice, but the Bible teaches that God is holy over four hundred times. Talk about a disproportionate description of God. So, and it doesn't negate the fact that God is loving because God is, in fact, loving. But if you really want to think about how does the Bible, how does God self-disclose? How does He reveal Himself to us? And why would He reveal Himself over four hundred times as holy and only twice as love? And if that's the case, and why does it feel like so many Christians emphasize His love? Like it's the opposite. Like, like the Bible talks about it 400 times, love versus holiness. Why is it that so many people are excited to talk about God's love, but so few people want to talk about holiness? What's going on there? Why is it, like even in preaching in the United States, and I, I'm pointing this out because I actually do think there's, there, there is some dysfunction in the way that American evangelicals talk about God and the way that we teach God, and I think it's resulting in a flawed understanding of not only God, but in an understanding of how he wants us to interact with them. And it's really important that you guys get this because I really believe that God wants to use our church here, especially when holiness has so many benefits. Think about this, okay? Let me just show you a few benefits of holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 gives us one. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Okay, now, first off, I just wanna point this out. Somebody once taught me that you don't ever have to make an effort for holiness, that that's actually legalism, and it's not true, but, but that actually isn't true according to this verse. This verse says make every effort to be holy. Okay, now I'm gonna explain how that works in a little bit in a, in a New Testament way, but, but it's, it's important. The Bible does command us to make every effort to do two things, to what? Live, at, live in peace, which means that, hey, there's something about humanity that will naturally cause us to not live in peace, okay? So we as believers are gonna be the ones leading the way, which means your Facebook and your Instagram and your social media will do this. That was a side note. That was a free little tidbit for you, okay? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and what? To be holy. And here's why. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you want to share Christ with people and yet you don't have holiness kicking in your life, it's impossible. Why? Holiness is what enables people to see the Lord in our lives. It's like the old saying goes, you gotta be the good news before you share the good news. If you get those two things mixed, 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 mixed up, guess what? People are gonna be saying, I don't know who you are, but that doesn't seem to reveal God whatsoever. And unfortunately, that's a lot of times the American church. We, we don't really live any differently than the world. We watch the same movies. We live the same lifestyle. We spend our money the same way. At the end of the day, how is there anything different between you and I? Well, oh, you kind of go to church sometimes. 
You know what I'm saying? And a lot of Christians think, oh, well, that's gonna make me different. No, it, listen, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holiness is actually one of the core elements that drives functional biblical evangelism. Ultimately, evangelism is, is, is useless if we don't have holiness. And it merely, it doesn't, whole, a lack of holiness doesn't merely affect those around us, it affects us. Because Jesus actually says the same thing as Hebrews 12, 14, except he says it in the inverse. In, in Matthew 5, 8, he actually says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, purity is kind of the, the, the same thing as holiness, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. Without holiness, no one will what? See the Lord, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. In other words, purity and holiness is the very thing that enables us to understand what God is doing on the face of the earth. Your ability to discern God's will, to hear God's voice, to sense God's presence, and know how to live in sync with him is based on Holiness, and not only does it affect our ability to discern God's will, it affects other people's ability to see Christ in us. Are you hearing me here? You see, there's benefits to holiness. We can't see God or hear his insights, which is why haziness and confusion is usually the preeminent sign we're missing intimacy and holiness in our lives. And this is why Moses, after learning this lesson, Exodus 33, when it, the people are screwing it up time and time again, he finally says to the Lord, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. If we can get in sync with God, it's gonna result in more favor and the nations of the world will actually know that we belong to God and, and there's something unique about us, Exodus 33. And then David, after him, and David learned this the hard way as well. He, he actually finally admits in Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confide, confides in those who what? Fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Okay, the, the confidence of God Think about that. God wants to speak to us and confide things to us, but he does it to whom? To those who fear him. Again, it means to give God a reverence to his holiness. It's, you're referring to the, the holiness of God and, and approaching God as though he is holy, and, and, and consequently, then God can entrust us with supernatural insights about everything from our families to our friends to our finances to our physical bodies. And I, I realize for those of you who are long-term Christians, this is kind of a basic message, but I, I'm sharing this because I keep running into to Christians who honestly believe this, okay? And I, I want you just to absorb this for a second. I keep running into Christians who honestly believe that God is so loving that he will just allow and be okay with anything I wanna do. I can kinda just define morality as I see it versus how the Bible sees it, and God is so loving that it kinda overcomes this whole little holiness issue. That's not even an issue anymore, okay? Uh, as if somehow he's gonna compromise both his holiness and our holiness out of love, as though the Holy Spirit doesn't care, as if you can't grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, I actually had a friend even say, you can't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's why the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I, so, like, but it's actually really common, I think, amidst uh, American Christians to kind of just de-emphasize holiness, and they, they raise up this attribute of love. And let me give you an example of this, okay? Uh, years ago, I had this one Christian friend who, he, he really struggled with holiness teachings in the Bible, and of course, I'd go to church with him, and every time the preacher would address anything about holiness, he would kind of freak out, like holy matrimony, 
What does marriage look like in the context of holiness? Holy sexuality, holy living. The Bible has a lot to say about these things, right? And every time our pastor would talk about holiness, he'd freak out and say, man, that is the most abusive, mean-spirited pastor ever. And I'm like, how did you get that out of the message? I thought he was like really nice. Like, I, I, like, in my mind, I didn't really think, I, I didn't understand why he was so upset about it, and he would always talk about love and holiness as if they were, as if they were um, competing values. But let me tell you something, church. Holiness and love are not competing values. In fact, actually, um, the, the, the truth is is that, that, that neither of them have any meaning outside of being married together, okay? Love and holiness are one, two sides of the same coin. The mo- Neither of them has any meaning unless they're one and the same. And if that's overly philosophical for you, just, just stick with me. And, and to be fair to my friend, okay? Here's actually what my friend was struggling with. He was raised in a church that emphasized holiness to the exclusion of love. And frankly, um, that's equally unbiblical, okay? So I think there's a lot of Christians who emphasize one to the exclusion of the other, but remember, it's the marriage of the two. That, that's, where, that's where the power of God actually rests. And, and, and so I knew my friend had some church wounds, and I knew that he had been to a church where they oppressed people with tr- truth versus uplifted people with truth. And you know the difference, right? I mean, we've all felt it. I think we've all been, if you've been in Christianity long enough, we've all felt oppressed with truth versus uplifted with truth. And there's a huge difference. That's one of the things that I, I always try to do. Like every single time I write a sermon, I'm always asking the question, hey, can I make a point without making an enemy? And, and sometimes it's impossible, but, but for the most part, I, I, I want you to know that one of the things I'm always trying to do is make sure that even when we talk about holiness teachings, that we're always doing it in the context of loving community. And, but, but in that moment, as my friend and I were talking about it, and, and as he kept talking about love and, 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 and holiness as though they were competing values, I suddenly had this revelation about why the Bible always talks about fire in the context of holiness, and some of you guys, this is gonna be like a revelation. I'm just so pumped to be able to share this. Ah. Okay, so imagine this. Imagine if we approached fire with some weird attitude, like, oh my gosh, fire, you're such a diva. Like, Like, I don't understand why I can't just touch fire without getting burned. I mean, like, fire, who do you think you are? I mean, like, Okay, now, we would, so that was my Valley Girl impression. Was that okay? Okay, so now, now, we would never approach fire like that. Why? Because fire is fire, right? We don't write blogs against fire, right? We don't take it personal because fire is fire. We don't say, oh, you're like one of those pro campfire people. Like, oh, that, that's so awful, we don't, we don't say, like, oh, fire is so intolerant. How can you even, I, I just refuse to support fire, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because fire is fire, right? That would be weird. Either we embrace it as it is or we don't. It's the very nature of fire. You either respect it or we don't. And most people, they don't, again, why, you don't rant against fire for being fire, right? Now, just hold on to that thought for a second. And let me give you one final clue as to why fire and holiness are always attached. Check out what happens on the day of Pentecost. Once again, you're gonna see holiness and fire put together in Acts chapter two, verse one. This is, again, and what's happening on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit is falling so that God's people will have power to be his witnesses. Supernatural power is falling. 
And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They're in the upper room, the disciples. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, a tornado in the room, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And check this out. This is so interesting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit fell, there was some sort of visible manifestation of fire that came out of heaven and rested on each of them. Now that's kind of freaky, don't you think? Okay, if, if, if I saw fire out of the fireplace about to light someone's hair on fire, would you get a little nervous? Probably. Right, but why? Why would God choose fire? Why did God make this manifestation of fire to accompany the Holy Spirit? Well, just practically speaking, I suppose fire, if you saw fire outside of the fireplace, it would say, be careful, right? It would say, be careful. I mean, anytime we see fire outside the fireplace, it says caution. It, fire demands reverence. It demands respect. And so personally, what I get out of that is I think, I think God was probably saying this. Hey, disciples, you're about to experience supernatural power unlike anything you've ever had before. And this Holy Spirit that I'm, you're about to experience, it's not only gonna give you supernatural power, but it's gonna give you supernatural insights. And, and between these things, these miracles are gonna reveal me through you to the world, and you're gonna be my witnesses, Acts 1-8. But... If you fail to treat this power with respect, it's going to go badly for you. That's why fire, you gotta respect it. And in the same way, you gotta respect the Holy Spirit, which is why two chapters later, guess what happens? God strikes down Ananias and Sapphira, two Christians who were living wickedly and thought they could get the power of God without the respect and reverence for God. And, and God's like, oh my gosh, I gotta nip this in the bud right away takes them out, and you wonder, where did they go wrong? Well, it was actually simple. They wanted the blessings and power of God even while simultaneously living wickedly. They wanted power without holiness. And so it begs the question, well, how do we avoid that, right? I mean, how do we get in sync with God's holiness? Well, it's critical you understand something about God. You can't earn holiness. It's a gift from God. Well, then how does that make sense with what we just said earlier? Make every effort to be holy. Hebrews 12, what does that mean? Well, let me, let me define holiness in two different ways, and it's important you understand this because this will all of a sudden turn the light bulb on. There's a self-righteous approach to holiness, and there's a grace-driven approach to holiness, the, the, the New Testament approach to holiness. Okay, now, now the self-righteous approach, the dysfunctional approach, will say, this is the definition of holiness. I live holy, therefore God calls me holy. God's stamp of approval, his holiness, is in response to you living a holy life. Now, the grace-driven approach, technically, the problem here is that you and I are incapable of living a holy life. Does that make sense? So the grace-driven approach, this is why Christ came to die for us. He lived the holy life that we could not live on our own, and then when we follow him and surrender to him, he comes, lives in us and through us, symbolized by baptism, and then what happens is, God calls me holy through Christ, therefore I live holy, okay? The first approach is an action reproach. It's, it's you 
trying really hard. The second approach is a reaction approach. God just gives you this free gift, and that gift is so stinking amazing that in your joy, you are naturally going to respond and live a holy life, okay? That's why we always say the Bible isn't a list of requirements, rather a list of results after experiencing his love. Holiness is one of those results. It's a reaction, not an action, okay? So when the Bible says make every effort to be holy, it's basically saying, hey, reflect on the holiness that God imparted into you, and as a result, let it spill over into your lifestyle. My goodness, we have eternity with Christ. The least we could do is start getting in sync with him, and then when we, ha we start doing that, God starts entrusting us with a little bit more miracles like Daniel. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to live the life of the sons of Sceva, always having a form of godliness, but never really understanding how to be trustworthy of that power. Does that make sense, everybody? And here's the deal. Listen, whenever I feel confusion, whenever I feel fear, it's usually a sign I'm lacking intimacy and God is teaching me more about holiness. And so what do we do? What we do is so simple. The simplest answer is just to pray the prayer of David out of Psalm 139, verse 23. Just whenever I feel confusion or lost or the voice of God seems distant, all I do is pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm telling you, church, if you feel distant, if you feel fear, if you feel confusion, pray this prayer and there's no way you can go wrong with this. God is gonna see you. He's abounding in love to all who call on him. And, and I'm telling you, if you pray this prayer with sincerity, you won't miss God. And so here's kind of what I wanna do today. So I, wanna, I wanna end with this. You know, I was even thinking of this last week when I was in Canada. Uh, my cell phone didn't fully work correctly. You know, it's like cell phone carriers work different. And, and every once in a while, um, I would just come into a, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot and, and suddenly like 100 texts would just flow out of nowhere and it'd be like, what happened? Why was I not receiving my texts? And, and, and listen, I think the same thing happens with you and I when it comes to God. There's sometimes when we're out of alignment with God, we're missing out on some of those insights he has. And I believe that if you would just tweak your heart and even pray the simple prayer that David prayed, some of you, you're gonna all of a sudden get this download of insights. God is gonna start speaking to you. Hey, Peter, adjust your life here. Adjust your life there. Or, or just, Peter, this is what you need to do with your finances. This is what you need to do in your marriage. This is what you need to do in your parenting. And if some of you are honest, you've been missing out on a lot of the messages and wisdom from heaven. And you know it because you're, you're, you're lacking clarity. And I just, I'm, I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm saying this in a don't miss the word of the Lord, he confides in those who what? Fear him. And how do we fear him? By simply praying out prayers like this. Could we end by simply praying out Psalm 139 together? Here's what I wanna do is I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote this and then I want you to repeat it after me. And I, I just believe that even as we're doing this simple repeat after me prayer of David, I believe that some of you are gonna get that breakthrough. You're gonna download your spiritual email for the first time, maybe for the first time in years. And so would you just close your eyes and just repeat this after me. Just say this. Say, search me, God, and know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me 
in the way everlasting. And lead me in the way everlasting. Holy, holy God, I pray that we would interact with you in a way that truly gives you honor in response to the gift of holiness that you've given to us. I pray for every single person that is in this moment would experience your clarity, would experience your supernatural power as we continue to get in step with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you're here and you've never prayed that prayer before, just, just, just give your life to Christ with me right here in this moment. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. I'm telling you, Jesus is doing that right here, right now, in his holy name. Amen. With all that said, we're going to turn this over to our campus pastors to tell us where we're going to go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.